I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Paul Smith, who's Chief Marketing Officer of Tangram, an interior and workplace solutions company focusing on furniture, flooring, and technology in Southern California. I invited Paul to come on the show, not necessarily because of his chief marketing officer role, although that's important, we'll talk about that, but more for how he thinks about interior design and its impact on the experience that both our employees as well as our potential customers and other stakeholders have with our brands and who we are as companies and interacting with us. We've all been hearing about the experience economy and how our brands need to be placed in the experience economy. And and I've been noodling this concept of empathy and the fact that empathy may be the actual currency that we're exchanging in this experience economy. So we'll talk a little bit about empathy today and how that translates into the physical space that we occupy. And Paul gives us quite a bit of tips in terms of things to think about as we venture into the physical spaces. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Alan. It's a pleasure. So tell me a little bit more about your background and how you found your way to become the CMO of Tangram Interiors. So after completing my MBA in Oregon, I began working for a large restaurant group where I really fell in love with the idea that interior environments can really have a large impact on people's experiences, 
beyond just the food, beyond just the, you know, the service, but really what could an, an interior do? And so ultimately my career and, and my life drove me to Southern California where I was introduced to Tangram, who was really trying to do the same thing we were doing, but inside of the corporate environments, the healthcare environments and education environments. And so it was really a, a match made in heaven. And we've been on a, an exponential growth plane in the past few years, and it's been an exciting ride. So if you wouldn't mind telling the listeners a little bit more about Tangram Interiors, what you guys do and, and the types of companies that you work with. Yeah, so Tangram is an interior solutions provider built on creating curated destinations for people to work, learn, and heal. We've partnered with some of the largest manufacturers in the world inside of uh, furniture, flooring, and technology solutions. And we're primarily located in Southern California, though we do do work nationwide. We work with a, a wide gamut of organizations, from tech firms in LA like Hulu and Google, to larger financial institutions like Bank of America, City National Bank, as well as we do most of the UC system schools like UCLA, as well as uh, healthcare providers like Kaiser Permanente. So really from education, corporate, and healthcare. Okay. I know the last time we talked, design plays a huge role in the physical space and what your clients are trying to achieve. Can you describe that role of design of physical space as playing in terms of your clients' goals, whether that's, and what are they trying to achieve? Are they just trying to make happier employees? Are they trying to reflect their brand? What is it that they're trying to achieve? Well, I think originally design was a lot about an aesthetic play. So just trying to create a certain look and feel. But I think it's really evolved into more of a human-focused, employee-focused effort into understanding how can design really help create efficiency or effectiveness in the way we work on a day-to-day -day basis. So looking at when we collaborate, how do our teams work? When we need heads down time, how does that happen? When we want to socialize in the office, how does that happen? And how do we facilitate those efforts in a design manner? And we've been really lucky at Tangram to be able to partner with some of the greatest architecture and design firms to help kind of try to accomplish those goals for our clients. And when we did last talk, I'm sure some of my listeners are just like, why are you talking to an interior design place? But we talked a lot about brand and brand authenticity and bringing that through the physical experience as well as what we might do in communications or advertising. So can you elaborate on that, what you mean by brand authenticity? Yeah, I think, you know, when we used to talk about brand, we talked about this idea of what's your logo set, what are your font sets, what colors do you use? And we know that's evolved, you know, on a digital platform or even in, our, in the way our B2B company goes to market in terms of what materials they deliver out to the customer. But I think what we're seeing is that space is becoming a really integral piece of an organization's brand. And part of that brand is this evolution that, you know, more and more of our brands are culture-based. You know, they're a direct reflection of who we hire, how we work, and who we want to recruit. And so when you build your space, it's not just you know, about putting the colors on the wall or your logo or you know, trying to create a space that you think is sexy, but it's about creating an environment that enables your people to continue to, to live and breathe the message and the mission of your organization. And so making sure that you're authentically living the brand and culture you're trying to promote. Well, experience is a big topic these days, especially in the marketing and brand world. And in my mind, it's closely linked to, you know, delivering a great experience is closely linked to empathy and empathy for those people that we're trying to serve with our brands. And I'm curious, you know, what do you think about this notion of empathy and, and does that come up as you're working with clients? Absolutely. I think when we kind of think about the empathy economy, I, you know, obviously it's an evolution off of the experience-based economy. 
And I think it's pushing into this idea of a more human-centric approach, a more customer-experienced approach, something that's more relationship-based. I think as technology continues to automate a lot of our basic day-to-day functions, we're allowed as humans to kind of express a more creative side. And I think the empathy economy is understanding that it's not just about selling you a product it's about an hour or an experience, but it's about selling to you as a person. And we all as individuals are really well-rounded. And so I think we see that in office space today. I, see, I think we're starting to look at what the holistic person needs to function on a day-to-day basis. You know, you're going to be heads down at your, your desk for three to four hours, but you're going to pop up and take a phone call. So you need a spot to do that privately. Or you're going to collaborate with a group of two to three, and you need to have the opportunity to do that. Or, you know, you're going to have lunch with your friends at a community table. And, and so making sure we're fostering those opportunities has been really critical from an empathy perspective and really focusing that it's less about the chair and, or, or the desk, and it's more about what that person needs and how we can be successful doing that. Any examples come to mind for you in terms of clients you've worked with and maybe how this was played out? I think that we just finished a project up in Seattle for a a large healthcare customer. And when they walked in, they talked about how they wanted their space to actively engage this idea of their brand statement and the culture they were trying to develop. And some of the things they wanted to do were, you know, they believed their brand was raw. They believed their brand was natural. They believed their employees were leaders in the Seattle marketplace. And so what we focused on were finished qualities. So we used all natural woods. We used hot rolled steel and a few different material finishes in their space to really kind of empower that. We also really looked at creating natural spaces in their just outside of their conference rooms to allow for meetings to facilitate after you had had a larger conference. So you had places where you could bounce out, you could you know, have a conversation, you could do some more side work, you could continue that conversation one-on-one with somebody you know, after a meeting. And so we're looking at how does the form follow the function? So what was happening originally, what happened after the meeting, and making sure we were facilitating for both. That's great. It sounds like a, a pretty interesting space with all those different materials. You know, Designing a space, I think we talked about this as well before, you've got all these different components, you know, if you think about it, especially with the tech in today's world, you've got IT and audiovisual, you've got facilities folks and the just physical construction of it to begin with, then you've got other players in the mix like marketing and, and leadership and HR. What are you seeing in terms of managing all of these different stakeholders and all these different components and you know, what should people be aware of if they're going to enter in one of these projects? I think interior design in the way we're building offices or workplaces today is becoming more and more app-like. And what I mean by that is that it used to be really siloed. You know, you would your general contractor would help you select your flooring and your finishes. Your architect or designer would help you pick your paint colors, your furniture, you know, how you were going to lay out your, your desks. And then Somewhere in that mix, people would decide that they wanted to hang TVs on the wall, and there was a, a process in which that was going to happen. But none of them, no one was really communicating back and forth. There was really never a, a cohesive effort to create a really coalesced office space. And I think that's what we're starting to see is that you know we're starting to see AV companies really integrate with the furniture and understand all right, what does the user want to do when they walk in? You know, they're going to sit down and, you know, how are they going to sit down? How are they going to interact with the technology? How do we make that user experience as simple as possible? And so we're starting to see more and more groups get involved in the decision-making process, as well as the integration process. And one of the most exciting places I'm starting to see that is this idea that IT is becoming more ever involved in the actual design 
function of, of office space because I think we know that technology has really changed the way we work on a day-to-day -day basis. But we're also seeing that the office is kind of being put up onto the network. You know, we're starting to have technology that tracks analytics for uh, room capabilities and, and room tracking. Or we're starting to be able to actively track who's coming into our space and who's not. So we can really start looking at real estate function and, and efficiency. And so as those kind of apps begin to develop, now we're seeing IT integrate with AV. AV is integrating with furniture. And we're starting to see a holistic picture of, of really what the office of tomorrow could look like. And it's an exciting time. Interesting. I love that office of the future idea and the app-like components of building it all together. So you are the CMO, and so Tangram is, in many ways, a typical B2B company. You target a whole host of folks, I'm sure, from general contractors to architects and project managers for different you know, sales opportunities. How do you think about marketing or reaching those audiences and addressing their needs? Well, I think we take a two-tiered approach. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of strategies we have in place and a lot of different platforms we've put in place. But we really have gone at it in two separate ways. There's the group of people we can develop leads from, uh, which would be clients and users. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Facilities managers, people that are directly actively searching for our service. But the majority of our work is really uh, through partner-based opportunities. So finding a general contractor who needs us, finding an architecture and design firm that wants to partner with us, working with project management firms that can utilize Tangram's you know, vast breadth of service. And the real difference there is there's no hard sell with those individuals. We're really looking at how do we educate, how do we inform, how do we create brand awareness? And then on a more humanistic side, how do we develop long-term relationships kind of in an old school selling manner with those companies to kind of be able to foster partnerships you know, for long-term success? And so it's been a really interesting experience that, you know, if you look at an email marketing campaign and you or you look at what you're trying to do on a from a digital lead gen perspective, it's really easy to craft a website that says, all right, you know, buy my product today or partner with me today or, you know, sign up for a webinar that gets me going. But if you don't want your site to only be lead gen and you need to be informative, how do you create the balance there and how do you create the right user path that if the end user logs onto your site, they get to the right information. You send them an email, they're getting the right information to get them to activate today versus you know, if an architect logs onto my site, what information am I providing? What content am I giving them that they want to, one, 
feeling educated and two, feeling like they want to work with us. So how do you create a differentiation in just brand awareness? So it's been a really unique challenge, but something that I think that's it's been really successful for us. And so we started by kind of just creating some simple base platforms. When I came to Tangram, we were relatively primitive. And so we put the basics, you know, web, email, print into works. And then we've slowly kind of developed integrations with our salesforce.com database and sales team activity, added Hootsuite and a few other kind of automation platforms, as well as Pardot, which is the Salesforce email marketing platform. And now we're really focusing on cleaning up our data and allowing for more personalized messaging through Salesforce or through our ERP platform to really be able to get out to those individual users in a more unique way. So beyond prioritizing and personalizing the messages to those audiences, what else are you balancing today in your CMO role? Well, I think when you're a CMO of any kind of smaller organization, you know, we're, we're a few hundred million in sales each year, but you know, we're definitely not a Fortune 500 company. You, you definitely have to wear a lot of hats. So I think the pieces where I, I really spend a lot of my time where is one, figuring out what, what can I do to help support our sales efforts and our sales teams, doing a lot of strategic thinking, forward marketing. And then I've really been focusing lately on our customer experience through the integration of technology and what parts of our customer experience and, and the user kind of path through our organization can we optimize and automate to allow our, our sales folks, our project management, our installers to have the most seamless and holistic experience for our customers? I think it's really a place where I'm excited. I think that we can change the way that the people interact with Tangram and allowing them to have, you know, I think Amazon has set the standard, but, you know, allowing them to have a more seamless transaction with us, which I think ultimately leads to an increased referral rate or an increased desire to come back and do business with us again. Yeah, well, I think brand leaders today need to be thinking about their physical spaces for their employees, but I'm glad that that came across you and, and that got you on the show. I'd love to learn, transition a little bit and talk a little bit just about you, get to know you like I do everyone I have come on. And so I love this question of, you know, what experience of your past defines or makes up who you have become? When you first sent this question over to me, I, you know, I spent a lot of time pondering it. It's what drives you or what, how do you become you? And it's definitely not something you think about every day. It kind of fostered and I finally kind of realized it that one of the things my parents did when I was growing up was that they really supported pretty much any activity we wanted to pursue, but they kind of made us bootstrap it until we had shown enough commitment to that activity that you know we were obviously interested and wanted to continue down a, a more serious road with it. And so I think that that really changed the way that I, I approached my career. You know, I've always believed that it's if I wanted a website before I even knew how to build a website, you know, I learned how to code and I learned how to go down that path because I saw an opportunity for a company, but I knew I didn't have any money. There wasn't any budget to be able to build it. So I figured out how to build it or I wanted to learn how to do email campaigning, but it's not like I could go out and buy the biggest and the best right away or, you know, pretty much all of the things in marketing that we've been able to do, we've started in this way that it's an experimentation, it's trial and error, it's, it's constantly searching for that next thing, but knowing that, like, you can't throw a bunch of money at it first. And so that idea of, of having to really work at something, find success, determine if it's going to be the right fit, and, and having the mentality of trying to bootstrap that, it has been something that's really been a game changer in my career and my life in general. You know, it's that constant desire to keep learning, to keep experimenting, but to do it in such a way that doesn't become a financial burden for an organization. What fuels you? What keeps you going? What drives you personally? I'm really dedicated to this idea of human experiences and, and how we can kind of foster them. 
you know, originally I thought I wanted to be a, a restaurateur because, you know, I, I loved the, some of my favorite memories were in, in restaurants. You know, it was, you spend your birthdays there, you spend your anniversaries or weddings or reception dinners and all these things. And, and some of your fondest memories are looking back and thinking about a meal. And I love to cook. And so those kind of things paired together. And so what I've been looking for in my career and what I work on every day is, is how do we create human experiences that we create memories or create emotional reactions or spawn creativity or inspiration and really searching for that. You know, I think that one of the other things I really do, I, I love to sail and watching people is, you know, the wind, you shut, shut the engine off and the wind takes over the sails and the boat starts to go across the water is this, you know, is, it's a magical experience of watching somebody go, oh my gosh, this is possible. This is amazing. It's that like, kind of fostering experiences, being able to expose something and create an emotional reaction for something that's unexpected. That's awesome. That's awesome. Many marketers are, are students of the business, so to speak. And I'm curious, you know, are there companies or brands that, or even causes that you think others should be taking notice of or that you follow yourself? For me, Patagonia has always been a brand that has been authentic. It's been something that I've been a follower of ever since I was, you know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and was a skier and a kayaker and and did all these outdoor activities. And so I wore Patagonia, but I really know what they're about. And their brand story, the way they communicate, the way they put together materials really feels authentic from you know conception to completion. You never see them do something out of character. And I think you see that throughout the organization. I think it's holistic. I don't think it's, it's a gimmick. I don't think it's a strategic idea. I think it's, it truly is who that company is. You know, and that kind of authenticity and that kind of transparency and, and drive is something that I think is really aspirational. I think what I hate to see is an organization who just puts a great message out there but doesn't live, eat, and breathe it. And I think that, you know, that kind of living, breathing organism of Patagonia is something that, you know, I think we should all be striving towards and is something that's really inspirational. Another organization that I'm passionate about, and, and not just to put a promotion out for my older brother who helps run it, <laughs> but is an organization called Biomimicry 2.0. And biomimicry is the study of nature and how we can apply that to engineering and design. So essentially thinking about this idea of, of a leaf and, and how it photosynthesizes, how could that impact technology design or, or even looking at the ethos of how maybe native organizations and cultures or different animals communicate and figuring out what can we learn there from our marketing efforts or from our cultural development efforts or from our business strategy planning. And so we're seeing that in the interior environments with an outbreak of, of strategy called biophilia. But I think this kind of integration of what we can learn from nature and apply it to design theory, to engineering theory, and to business strategy and life theory is really fascinating and something I think we're going to see even more of. I love that. And no, shameless plugs are more than accepted here, <laughs> So especially when they're that thoughtful. It makes you want to put down your device and go outside right now. Absolutely. Really interesting. So last question for you, where do you see the future of marketing going? I think that the future of marketing is going to go in the way that I think a lot of businesses are going to go is that a, you know, artificial intelligence, AI, is going to increasingly take over many of our automated functions within the business world. You know, whether that's how we send a customized email out to an individual based on a data profile that allows us to understand both their emotional needs, their current sales needs and, and their environment, to web traffic, to you know, a multitude of different places. I think a lot of that process can really be automated to a point where you know, once you set the strategy, once you kind of determine where it wants to go, it can truly run. 
and I'm hoping for all of our sakes that it allows us to enter a, a place where we can start thinking more about humanistic experiences and understanding kind of how creativity works and how our brains work and how our environments work and how our organizations work to really to really push creativity or and really push for you know an advancement of of ideas and innovation that we didn't expect you know so if we can create automation to do some of the baseline functions giving us ourselves more time to think creatively is is really where i'm hoping things go and where i think we're all pushing to get to that's great well paul thank you so much for coming on the show today thank you for having me Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at Atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me, with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 